you would turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. As we pray, let's welcome the Holy Spirit afresh in our, our lives this morning. So, Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your faithfulness, that you love us with everlasting love. We do ask that you would send your Holy Spirit to speak to us. Holy Spirit, we welcome you afresh in our lives. Jesus, help us to get to a place where we're really anticipating and looking forward to your soon return. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Talked with a young man in the cafe this morning, and he let me know he's getting married in 50 days. September 18th. But then he said, who's counting, right? Talked with another individual that was uh, letting me know that they were uh, retiring in 1,065 days. You can download an app and put a special day in, and it'll count down for you to, to keep track of how many days. Do, do you have a day coming in the future that you're really looking forward to? Something you're looking forward to this fall. Some of you are kind of sick because you're already counting the days towards Christmas. The rest of us don't like you, right? You're like, we're not that excited about Christmas. For us on September 2nd, we're going to celebrate our 20th anniversary, Amber and I, and so we're looking forward to that, that day that is, is approaching. We see in Scripture that we're able to look at the day of the Lord, and as we see the day of the Lord approaching, God's Word tells us in Hebrews that we're to commit ourselves to fellowship, and we're to commit ourselves to exhorting one another. The church of Thessalonica had received some bad teaching, some false teaching about the day of the Lord. They're confused and thought, man, the tribulation is happening. We're living in the tribulation. We're living in the day of the Lord. They were going through tremendous persecution, and they thought maybe this is what God predicted of his judgment. So Paul is writing to clear that up. The day of the Lord is referred to in the Old Testament of, of God's judgments, referred to over and over again. In the New Testament, we see in the book of Revelations, the tribulation period, the wrath of the Lamb. So they're wondering, are we experiencing the wrath of the Lamb? It seems there's a lot of confusion about the rapture, about the second coming of, of Christ, and many of us may have uh, some fears in regards to that topic. And I hope this morning as we study God's word that the opposite happens, that you start to look forward to the coming of the Lord. You look forward to the rapture of the church. You look forward to when Jesus is going to come back and he's going to make everything right. We're always looking for what God is doing. What's God doing in these times that we're living in? One of the things that's happening is I see the church of God starting to get excited about the return of Jesus. More and more of us are talking about the coming of Christ, and, and I can't wait till the Lord is on the throne here on earth, where he is ruling here on this earth. So let's look in verse 1. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you. This is Paul's topic concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus and us being gathered together to him. Not to be so soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. So they're thinking that the day of Christ had already come. 
that they're living in this, this day of the Lord. And Paul says, I don't want you to be shaken in your mind. I don't want you to be, be troubled in your spirit if you receive word or letter. In all areas, we want to make sure that we're going back to the word of God, but especially with the second coming of Christ. There's a lot of weird teaching that has developed with the second coming of Christ. So, so go back to the, the word of God, to the place where you're holding on to his word and you're not easily shaken. You're not easily troubled. In verse 3, let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. So Paul says that day, the day of the Lord, the second coming of Christ can't happen until these three things uh, take place. So this then brings up a question or some confusion. If we're supposed to be looking for Christ's coming at any particular moment, how is it that these things have to happen before the day of the Lord? I think the answer is, is there's a difference between the rapture and the day of the Lord. What's being referred to here is the day of the Lord. When God brings judgment on a Christ-rejecting world. But before that judgment can come, these things have to take place. But the rapture of the church can happen at any given moment. The rapture of the church is when Jesus takes us up to forever be with the Lord. The church to forever be with the Lord. The day of the Lord, this day that Paul is referring to, is when Christ brings judgment on the world. So the first thing that has to happen before this judgment takes place is there's a falling away. The falling away must come first. In the Greek, the word is apostasia, which we get the English word apostasy. It speaks of departure. It speaks of those that once claimed faith, walking away from faith, de deconstructing uh, their faith. It also speaks of a spiritual condition in the world of a hard heart towards God. This is going to happen before God's judgment comes. There's going to be a great falling away that occurs. This then sets up for the man of sin to be revealed. As we'll see in the next verse, it's really clear that the man of sin is the Antichrist. So the Antichrist has to be revealed before the final judgment comes of the Lord. The Antichrist is described as the son of perdition. Perdition means destruction. He's the son of destruction. He's been doomed by the Lord. We see that the Antichrist described in verse 4, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So he's opposed to God. The Antichrist is completely against God and everything that God represents and, and the people of God. But he also exalts himself above the Lord. The Antichrist is against Christ, but also in replace of Christ, there's going to be a moment that's yet future where the Antichrist sets himself up in the temple, sets himself up in the Holy of Holies, and desires the worship that only belongs to God. This is also described for us in Revelations chapter 13. If we're thinking about verse 4, there is something that's going to have to happen, and that's what? A temple's going to have to be built. In order for the Antichrist to go into the temple and demand worship, there will have to be another temple that's built. 
So keep your eye on the Temple Mount in Israel. The Dome of the Rock sits on the Temple Mount, which is a holy site for the Muslims. The Jews aren't just going to build the temple anywhere. I know this may be a shock to your system. The temple will not be in Colorado Springs, right? It's going to be the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. There's so many theories and ideas of how this is going to get sorted out, but ultimately we don't know. We don't know how this is going to get sorted out, but eventually there will be another temple that is going to be built and the Antichrist is going to come and set himself in that place and demand worship. In 1 John 4 verse 3 it says, And every spirit that doesn't confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. Consider that for a second. So every spirit that doesn't confess that Jesus came in the flesh, the God-man, is, is not of God. And the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming, is now already in the world. Do we see the, the spirit of the Antichrist already in play in the world? As we look at the day approaching, the day of, of God's judgment approaching, is there more and more hard hearts towards the Lord? As I was studying this, what really stood out to me is the beginning of verse 4, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God. In our culture, in other cultures, this is a global movement, unfortunately, that, that's happening. More and more people are not wanting anything to do with the Lord. They're opposing God and opposing anything to do with Him. We don't live in a tolerant society when it comes to the things of Christ. You can go to work tomorrow and talk about all kinds of crazy perversion that you did over the weekend. 150 years, Colorado Springs, and this is what I did with my weekend. But if you go in and you talk about Jesus Christ and Him crucified and Him being the only way for salvation, in a lot of workplaces, that's no longer tolerated. Right? You're not allowed to be able to have that opinion and there is a spiritual element that's taking place. The spirit of the Antichrist is already at work. The, the day of the Lord is, is approaching. In verse 5, Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? This is interesting to me because as we study the book of Acts, it appears that Paul only had about three weeks with the church of Thessalonica as this new church was birthed. And in those three weeks, He's talking about the rapture. He's talking about the day of the Lord, the second coming of Christ. He didn't see these things to be secondary. He saw them to be primary. And we tend to think of the second coming of Christ to, to be secondary. No, it's primary. We need to know how the Bible ends. The Bible ends with God winning, amen? Jesus returns. Like, if there wasn't that hope for us, what would the message of Scripture be? It would be hopeless, but Christ is risen from the grave, and He is going to return. Hopefully in our hearts, there's an excitement for Christ to return. That, that's what we're looking for. That's what we're longing for, and wanting to see people come to know Christ as their Savior. In verse 6, And now you know what is restraining, that He may be revealed in His own time. It says, and you know what is restraining. What could be restraining this lawlessness? What could be restraining this, this evil? It could only be the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit present in the church. The Holy Spirit 
alive in believers is this restraining element on lawlessness. We're to be salt and light, that preserving element, pointing people to Christ. Sometimes when people come to know that we're believers, they start to feel a little bit uncomfortable. Well, I'm not sure that I can say this around you. When I meet people, sometimes I I try to find a way to be slow to tell them I'm a pastor. Because once I tell them I'm a pastor, it ruins the conversation. They're not open, transparent, and honest. And I, oh, I, I can't say that. If I'm on a flight and I'm on a plane and they realize they're sitting next to a pastor, all of a sudden they got to behave, right? I don't necessarily want them to behave. I just, I want them to be who they are and see if there's an opportunity to love them and, and share, share Christ. But, but there's that element, as light is in the world, the, the Holy Spirit is present in our lives. There, there's that restraining element that, that takes place. In verse 7, it says, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. So this lawlessness that's going to expand and abound at the time of the day of the Lord is already at work, is what Paul is saying. In Matthew 24, verse 17, Jesus said, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Are we seeing this take place? Is there more and more lawlessness? Is there more and more an attitude of saying, we don't desire for there to, to be any type of r- rules. Whoever come up with the idea to defund the police? If that's something that you want to do, have fun living in that community, right? And we're thankful for our, our police officers that serve our, our community. I mean, I couldn't imagine living in Colorado Springs, if there was no law, there was, there was no, no order. And so this lawlessness is, is abounding. And when lawlessness abounds, then love grows cold. The attitude kind of becomes, well, who cares? If there's, if there's no law, if there's, there's no order, then lawlessness will then produce a lovelessness in our hearts. Continuing in verse 7, and he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. So the Holy Spirit is going to restrain this lawlessness until he is taken out of the way. This is the third thing that will happen before the day of the Lord. First, there's an apostasy that that takes place. Then the Antichrist is revealed, and then the Holy Spirit is taken out of the way. It doesn't seem that the Holy Spirit departs from the earth because there's still those getting saved during the tribulation, those that are getting sealed, and that's the work of of the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is no longer standing in the way of evil, standing in the way of sin. The church, if the church indeed is, is raptured, the church is with the Lord, and through the power of the Holy Spirit is no longer that restraining element in, in the world. I think of it this way. Sometimes as a, as a parent with your kids, when, when they're little, you're able to stand in the way of bad decisions, right? And in a sense, you are kind of restraining. But, but as they get older, you choose to step back. It's, it's their decision, especially once they become a, an adult. And there's going to be a moment in time where the Holy Spirit steps out of the way, where the Holy Spirit's saying, okay, I'm going to allow this lawlessness to go to even a, a greater degree. In verse 8, And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth, and destroy with the brightness of his coming. 
when we read of this lawlessness, we read of this apostasy and the Antichrist, we can really get concerned. But then we focus on verse 8, that Christ is able to destroy, consume the Antichrist simply with his breath. The Antichrist is no match for Jesus. He's simply got to breathe on him, and he's done with the breath of his mouth, the brightness of his coming. All Jesus has to do is show up, is return, and the Antichrist is completely destroyed. So don't think at any moment that, that God is threatened. Verse 8, the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. So the lawless one, the Antichrist, is the lawless one. He's going to preach a, a message of lawlessness. He's according to the working of Satan. He's empowered by Satan with power and signs and lying wonders. Just because something is miraculous, is a, a miracle, is supernatural, doesn't mean necessarily that it's from God. Paul wrote and he said, even if an angel comes to you and preaches another gospel, let him be accursed. So someone could roll up and be like, man, this angel came and appeared to me and gave me the gospel, but it's not the gospel that Jesus is God, that Jesus came in the flesh, that he died for your sins and rose again. They may put the label of Jesus on it, but it's not the Jesus of, of the scriptures. You have to go, wow, you had an amazing spiritual experience, but I'm not going to believe it or, or buy into it because it doesn't line up with Scripture. And a lot of people will be deceived by the Antichrist because there's power, there's signs, and there's these lying wonders that, that take place. In verse 10, And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they may be saved. There's great protection in the gospel. There's great protection in the truth. And those that are deceived rejected the gospel, rejected that Jesus died for their sins and rose again. They didn't love the truth. And since they didn't believe the gospel, they didn't love the truth, they're open to deception. This is a, an incredible time for us to remain steadfast, as we'll see in just a moment, in the gospel and in the truth of, of Scripture. We don't read God's Word because we have to, because we've got to earn or deserve God's favor. That takes place through the blood of Jesus. We're the children of God. He loves us with an everlasting love. We get to read the Scriptures because we're in relationship with Him. We get to read the Scriptures because we want to know truth. This is an important time to know truth, to hold on to truth, to, to read the Scriptures. The book of Proverbs is a great place to go right now. Practical wisdom, how we need practical wisdom in a, our daily lives. All of Scripture is, is beneficial to us. May God strengthen our love for the Word. May He give us an appetite for the Word, an ability to, to understand it. If it's been a while since you've spent time in the Word, may God stir that up inside of you. If you are spending time in the Word, May God strengthen you in that because the truth, the, the truth of God is, is what protects us from that deception. Verse 11, for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. At this point, because they've rejected the gospel, because they've rejected the truth, God then turns them over to a lie. 
he allows them to go in this direction. And this is sobering with the Lord. And I don't know when that moment of time is, but there is a point when someone says no to Christ enough times where they make it clear time and time and time and time and time again that God then confirms that decision and says, okay, you can go in that direction. So each time that you say no to Jesus, that's a big deal. Don't harden your heart. If you've been saying no to Christ and you feel God knocking upon the door of your life, that he loves you, that he died for your sins, that he wants to be in personal relationship with you, he wants to to save you, this morning, turn to him. This morning, say, yeah, I'm going to respond to your goodness and be saved. We go on into verse 12, that they all may be condemned who do not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Why are they condemned? Because they don't believe the truth. They don't believe that Jesus is God. They reject that, that Jesus is the answer for their salvation. And then the result is receiving condemnation, and that's eternal separation from God. As they reject the truth, then there's pleasure in unrighteousness. And this, again, is describing the whole spiritual environment that takes place at, at the end, takes place at the revelation of the Antichrist. So here's the response for the church of Thessalonica in verse 13. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, Brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Contrast with the church of Thessalonica. They're loved by the Lord, and they've been chosen by God from the beginning. This is humbling when we think of God choosing us from, from the beginning, sees the beginning from the end, knows everything about us, but yet he would choose us. There's so much power in knowing that you're chosen. You're chosen by the Lord. He's chosen us for salvation, to be saved, to not be condemned, to be in Christ for the purpose of sanctification by the Spirit. Sanctification is holiness. Sanctification is, is Christ-likeness. This is the process that God is doing in our lives. The moment we receive Christ as our Savior, we're justified, we're declared righteous. But sanctification is a process that God's doing in our lives until we go home to be with the Lord, and it's by the Spirit. The Spirit really brings change in our life if we're willing to yield ourselves to the Spirit and belief in the truth. As we believe the truth of Scripture, that has a sanctifying effect in our lives. Lord, I believe your word. I believe what your word says about you. I believe what your word says about how you want me to live my life. That that has a sanctifying effect in our life. To which he called you by our gospel for the attaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're called by the gospel. The gospel is the invitation for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That that's how we're called unto God. I love how Paul describes our gospel personal ownership of the gospel, that God has saved him, and he has the privilege of of sharing the gospel. How we need a gospel movement in our community. So many people needing to know the love of God, to know that Jesus died for their sins and rose again. Church, it's our gospel. We've been saved by this gospel, and we get the joy of, of sharing the gospel with others. 
In verse 15, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or by epistles. Stand fast. Stand fast. Church of Thessalonica, you are going through persecution, but you're not in the day of the Lord. These things have to happen first. Stand fast. Stand fast in the traditions. Specifically from the context, what are the traditions that Paul's talking about? The gospel. Stand fast in the gospel. Remain in the gospel. Isn't it wonderful that Jesus died for our sins? Have you been reminded recently that you're a sinner? I think you probably have if you're paying attention. We know ourselves. We know our sin. I'm a sinner. You're, you're a sinner. But we have a Savior this morning that died for our sins, that rose again, that has forgiven us, that gives us God's favor not based upon our, our performance. We get to live in the gospel. We get to stand fast in the gospel. We don't want to depart from the gospel. It's interesting that Paul didn't write to them and say, you know, you need to try to overthrow the Roman government. He didn't write to them and say, hey, you need to try to get out of the persecution that you're in. He, he didn't write to them and say, oh, you need to be really worried of the spirit of the Antichrist that's already at work in the world today. He said, you need to make sure that you stand fast in the gospel. You need to make sure that you keep your focus on, on the gospel. One of the things that can happen to the church, not just our church, but the church as a whole, is we lose our message. We lose the message of Jesus Christ and him crucified. The church is no longer known for Jesus. It's no, it's no longer known for Jesus loves you. He died for your sins. He, he rose again. That eternal perspective of people knowing Christ and knowing him as, as their savior. I love verse 16 and 17. It's, it's a great way for the chapter to end. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace. Paul is praying this for the suffering church. The Lord Jesus Christ himself, our God and Father, your heavenly Father, the best Father possibly, who has loved you. Jesus has loved you. The Father has loved you and has given you everlasting encouragement. We have the encouragement of, of heaven. Don't let your hearts be troubled because I go to prepare a place for you. We've got good hope by grace. This is a great place to be able to plant our expectation is on the grace of God, the unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor of God. If our hope is in our performance, good luck. If our hope is in a government, good luck. If our hope is in the economy, oof, shaky ground. If our hope is in people, they're, they're going to let us down. But if our hope is in the grace of God, that's a good place to put your confidence. The character of God, the promises of God, the, the grace of God. Lord, I'm hopeful about eternity, and I'm hopeful about this life. Not that I get everything that I want, not that everything goes my way, but that you're good by your grace. Hope put in the wrong place is dangerous, but hope put in the Lord brings great encouragement. So may the Lord himself, who has done all these things for us, may he comfort your hearts, and may he establish you in every good word and work. I think we need comfort this morning. We need comfort because of personal trial that we're going through. 
We also need comfort because of the uncertain times that, that we're living in. There's a lot of uncertainty about what the future will bring. The church of Thessalonica was in a, a place of uncertainty with the kind of persecution that they were, were going through. I want you to hear this. Comfort is a person. It's a person. It's Jesus. It's, it's your Father. It's being able to come up into the arms of your Heavenly Father and be comforted by Him personally. Personally. It's a relational. Come to the arms of your Father. Oh, Lord, I need comfort. If you're in that place of, of trial and difficulty in your life, come to him. Ask him for comfort. If the whole idea of the coming of the Lord brings you a lot of fear and worry, go to the Lord and say, God, I don't want to be in a place of fear of worry on this truth. I, I want to be in a place of comfort. God, would, would you comfort me? Are you concerned about, man, what's the school year going to be like for my kids? Now go to the Lord for comfort, and then, and then may God himself establish you. Establish your hearts for every good work, every good word, that God would allow us to have the peace of the Lord so we're prepared to, to give that good word, to give ourselves to the work that he would have for us. Would you turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10? I want to close with Hebrews 10 verses 24 and 25, because God's word really clearly tells us what to do as we see the day of the Lord approaching. Hebrews 10, verse 24 and 25. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. So we should be able to see the day of the Lord approaching. Okay, we're close. We're closer. I know this is profound. This is deep theology right here, but we are closer to the coming of the Lord than any generation prior, right? I don't know when it's going to happen, but I know that I'm closer than my grandparents were, right? We are the present generation that is moving closer to the coming of the Lord. Personally, I do think as we look at what's taking place in the world that there are signs that are pointing towards the approaching of the day of the Lord. So what do we do? The Bible says we should be able to see it. So much more were to be in fellowship with one another, and we're to exhort one another daily. We're to challenge one another daily. How are you doing with the Lord? Where's your heart with the Lord? Because we need that from one another. This week, we're launching our connect groups. And we've been praying as a pastoral team and as a staff of what God's heart is for RMC. And one of the things that's been on our hearts is we believe this fall... God's going to move in our church in the area of fellowship. So we took a step of faith back in May to reach out to you guys to say, hey, would a bunch of you be willing to host connect groups? And a lot of you have responded. So right now, if you go to the church's website, there's 50 connect groups to be able to get involved in and have fellowship. And the way that these connect groups work is they all involve food. Isn't that great? 
because we want to follow the example of Jesus. And Jesus was always eating food with people. In his resurrected body, he was always breaking bread. When we get to heaven, it's going to be the marriage feast of the Lamb. You know I can continue talking about food, but I won't. But there's some element of food. Pastor Sean puts out a, a short devotional where you'll read through a small section of scripture with some few questions to get some conversation going. But the whole idea is to get you sharing, to have conversation about God's word, then to share what's going on in your life and to pray for one another. Also, one of the things I really like about our connect groups is they meet on semesters. So there's this fall semester, break for Christmas, and then there's the spring semester and it's done in May. So you're not signing your life away. This is not like covenant community that once you enter the door of this home, you will never leave. (laughs) If you want to get involved in a connect group, you send an email, go to the website, look at the groups. Okay, I think this fits. Send an email to the leader. They'll email you back. If there's any problems, please, please let us know and go try out the group. And it may not be for you. We're not going to shame you if it's not for you. If you show up and it's not for you, go look for another group. But we need to be in fellowship with one another. I'm proud of you guys that you're here in person at service. And this is, this is my heart, is I think that there's something special when God's people come together to worship. Worship is better when we're singing together. Where two or three are gathered, God is in our midst. When we weren't able to meet in person, and it's live stream, and you're sitting in your family room, and you're trying to trying to worship. It just wasn't the same, right? Our online community, we're so thankful that you're, you're listening and pray that this is really ministering to you, but this is our heart from our church, is that the online would be a bridge to bring you into a local fellowship. It may be time to come back and be in in-person services. Maybe you're out of state. We're super humbled that you would be finding RMC and be ministered to But find a local church. Be plugged into a local church because we need one another. The Bible tells us as we see the day approaching, be in fellowship with one another. So as we come in, come in a little bit early. Breakfast is available up in the cafe. The whole reason we've designed the well and the foyer is not to make money on coffee. We actually lose money on coffee. The the purpose is so you could stick around and, and fellowship. Come with this attitude of saying, you know what, I'm going to get to know people while I'm here. You guys tend to sit in the same areas. It does throw me off when some of you, like, migrate to the other side of the sanctuary. Like, Man, what's, what's going on here? Get to know the people that, that sit around you. God's blessing us with a lot of new people in our church. Well, let's welcome them. And it may be a connect group, or, or it may be you're hanging out at church, and you're like, hey, let's, let's go have lunch uh, together. It may be that there's believers in your neighborhood, and you start to fellowship with them. You've got believers at, at your work, and you start to, to fellowship with them. It, it doesn't, this is not an RMC thing. There's just avenues here for you to have a relationship if you need it, but the Holy Spirit may do this in your life through, through ever, other avenues, but it's us committing to being in those relationships. So what's the purpose of this kind of fellowship? That we would be equipped to go out and love a lost and dying world. It's not just for believers to get together and for us to be comfortable and 
us to have friends and we've got our holy huddle and we're like us and no more. I got my little community and I'm good. God brings communities of believers together so that we can be encouraged to go love unbelievers and invite them into the community. We're hearing a, a lot of amazing work of what God's doing through connect groups. And this last year as connect groups got started, a family joined a connect group. And they were in the connect group for six months and then the husband passed away. Now the wife and kids are continuing to come in the connect group. Do you know how important that connect group is in their life? Did they have any idea that the husband would pass away when they joined the connect group? Absolutely not. Our life is going to hit the fan. It just does. And it's not too late to find community when trial comes. If you're in that place where your life has hit the fan, it's not too late to find a connect group and get plugged in. But it's much better to have community in your life before the trial comes. So you have friends, brothers and sisters in Christ that can really walk with you through the trial. Amber and I are a part of a connect group that the men meet Friday mornings, the husbands meet Friday mornings, and the wives meet Thursday night. And it actually started 15 years ago. And we had been going for maybe a year, maybe two years. And me as the great spiritual uh, leader in our marriage, I said, babe, I just think we're too busy for this. Like, we got so much going on, and our kids are little, and we're hardly getting in a date night. And I was like, I would much rather see you than see these knuckleheads, right? Like, I, I want to I spend time with you, not with these guys. And, and so l- let's just step away. And, and I put it in a lot more diplomatic words, right? But that was really the, the essence of it. So we stepped away from our connect group. And literally, within about eight weeks, we got our cans kicked. And we went through a really difficult time. And you know what we did? We came back to that connect group. And we've never left. And it's a, a priority in our lives. And I'm so thankful for that group of men. And Amber really benefits from that group of women. But I got to tell you, as much as I'm thankful for it, when Friday morning comes and I got to get up early to get to the coffee shop, I'm like, I don't know if I want to go, right? Sometimes your pastor sleeps in instead, right? You can find another church, but it does happen, right? (laughs) And I have to remember this exhortation from Scripture, man, I need fellowship. I need to be exhorted. I need to exhort one another. We need fellowship, but even more than fellowship, we need to be in love with Jesus. Maybe... It's been a while since you have been in love with Jesus. And today, as we look at the day approaching, Jesus is saying, come back to your first love. Maybe you have attended church, even been saved, believed the gospel, but never really fallen in love with Jesus. And you would say, I have all of these other loves in my life, but I'm not loving Jesus. Because you can come to church and you can go to a small group and that's great. But if we're not in love with Jesus and it's not the overflow of Jesus in our lives, then we're really missing it. And as times do move towards the second coming of Jesus, we need him. We need to be tied into him. We need to be, be loving him. So maybe this morning is that morning of saying, Jesus, I'm choosing to love you. I'm choosing to return to you. Would you stand with me and let's pray together.
Jesus, we thank you for the truth of your coming, the rapture of the church, the day of the Lord where you're going to make everything right. We don't want to be in a place of fear, but in a place of, of excitement as we look for your return. As we do see the day of the Lord approaching, may we commit to being in relationship with one another. Would you strengthen fellowship in our lives? Would may we commit to to being in relationship with, with believers? Would you bless these connect groups that are going to start? Would you bless the fellowship that's already taking place? And Lord, would you build us up to where we really can go and love the lost and share the gospel, share the good news with others? Where we've drifted, where we've fallen away, we want to return to you. Would you restore unto us the joy of our salvation? We want to return to our first love. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.